I took him to the hospital for help. If I had wanted to harm him, why would I take him to a hospital seeking help? I didn't hurt him. I didn't kill my son. I didn't murder him. I didn't poison him. I didn't harm him in any way. I wanted to know what was going on with him because he was in pain and he was suffering and he was hurting and nobody could explain to me what was going on. I didn't kill my son. I never poisoned him with salt. Welcome to Stat. I'm telling you all. Medical true crime stories. The niggas bizarre. Karen Wickham. Yeah, she used to work in the R. And now she's sharing the knowledge. So let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries. All facts. She ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in to Stat if you dare. Cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I also have a guest host with me today by the name of Mary, nicest person in the world, Gardner. Hi, Mary. Hello, everybody. Since we're stuck in the apartment together, we might as well do this episode together. Um, okay, so what you just listened to was Lacey Spears talking about her son and the fact that she is innocent and continues to believe so. I always look for the why in every situation. Yes, I was one of those kids that were always asking the million qu- crazy questions. And that being said, I still look for the why in things. I want to know even in the worst human beings and what they do, what drove them to do that. But sometimes you just don't get an answer to that. Sometimes you're left with more questions and answers. And this is how I feel in, in this particular case. Why would a mother murder her child? Why would a mother intentionally make her child sick? Well, let's just get into this and we can talk about what may be the reasons at the end of the day, I'm usually a very compassionate person, except for some things. And and, and just for Munchausen's, I, I can't. I just can't. Now that you've got my opinion, let's get started on this. Lacey Elizabeth Spears was born on October the 16th, 1987 at Castle Air Force Base in Atwater, California. She was the youngest of three with older brother Daniel and sister Rebecca. Her parents were Terry and Tina Spears. At six weeks of age, the family moved to Decatur, Alabama to live with her or with their maternal grandparents, Paul and Peggy Florence, on a family farm. Interesting information about Decatur, Alabama is that it's one of the poorest towns in the U.S. with a population under 50,000. It lies in the Bible Belt with a church on every corner. In fact, it holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the highest number of churches per capita. This this will come into play why I brought this up. Other than it being an interesting tidbit, it uh, does play into the story. Terry and Tina had a cold and distant marriage, and Lacey stated that she didn't get along with her father. And Lacey's mother was considered uh, cold and inattentive, rarely showing any affection towards her family. Lacey's parents also had poor health. Tina was a type 1 diabetic, and Terry had celiac disease, Crohn's disease, and a hearing impairment. These things also come into play later on. From a very young age, Lacey loved to play house and had many dolls that she treated and cared for like they were her own babies. In kindergarten, Lacey had a best friend named Mallory. Lacey always played at Mallory's house because Mallory's mother did not feel comfortable with her daughter going over to Lacey's home. 
There was one time when Mallory's mother did allow her daughter to visit, and her concerns were confirmed. Lacey was very possessive of her dolls, as I had said before, and when Mallory tried to hold one, Lacey strangled the little girl, leaving handprint bruises on her neck. Mm, yikes. Yeah. Back off. Get your own dolls. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yikes. Uh, in 1998, Lacey started middle school and was very close to a girl by the name of Jessica. They were inseparable. Lacey was a good student and what some people would call a brown noser, always looking for approval from her teachers. Late one night, Lacey arrived at Jessica's house in a frantic state. She told Jessica's mother, Lisa, that she had been molested by a family member and she was afraid to go home. Lisa immediately called the Alabama Department of Human Resources, which has children's aid services uh, in, in their department. Now, I'm not usually one to question whether a child or adult has been sexually abused or assaulted. I, you know, I want to... Yeah, well, I always give the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. Especially I, a child. Especially a child. Never question it. And if for some reason it's not truthful, why would they do it? There's got to be something going on, right? So Attention-seeking behavior. She was how old? Middle school? Yeah. Like 11? 11. 10? Yeah. Okay. So that being said, so you know that I don't question that. But in this case, there was no evidence that this actually happened. In fact, you will see as this story progresses that the accusations worsened and become more depraved as they go along um, from Lacey. And they become, well, you'll see, unbelievable. Jessica's mother, Lisa Kyle, allowed Lacey to live at their house as refuge. Over the next couple of weeks, she started actually calling Lisa mom, which made Jessica uncomfortable. Um, her story of sexual abuse of her father had changed not just from her father, but also include abuse from her neighbors. Now, early on, Lacey had gone to her neighbors with the same story. And now these neighbors who had previously been kind to Lacey and let her stay there when she told them about this abuse from her father, she now turned on them and included um, them as part of her abusers. Uh, this is what a friend of hers was quoted as saying, quote, Lacey would sneak out of her house and come over to them because she said she was scared. End of quote. Lacey's sister, Rebecca stated, quote, we had a happy childhood. As far as I know, that's not true. I don't know why people would think or say that in all honesty. Rebecca, it was because your sister was telling everybody that would happen. But you'll find out that Rebecca is a little kind of clueless. You'll see. Willfully ignorant. And also, too, I want to know what her parents are doing at this time. It just seems like they were um, not doing anything. I'm pretty sure that if I was accused of sexual abuse, I would be... Um, yeah, I would be, you know, trying to get to the bottom of why this was being said or what was happening. I wouldn't just let my daughter go live. Yeah, like it, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like uh, here she is, what, like 11 or something? And she just leaves for a couple of weeks and lives at another woman's house? Like it doesn't really make sense. And so why didn't they like get her back? Did they attempt to get her back? Did, I don't did they know. just go like, oh, there she goes again? Yeah, it's it, I don't know. I mean, we don't have enough information to, like, you know, I haven't found anything in, in my research to lead to that. But it just makes me wonder, like, what, what the hell's going on there? Yeah, like, have, were her parents ever interviewed at all? I uh, No, no. Um, Lacey was now showing a pattern of behavior in which she would befriend someone and find a sympathetic ear, tell stories of abuse, and then um, cling on to them. 
She'd want it. She demand, was very demanding of their time and just everything. If they no longer served her purpose or if they angered her, she would disparage them and then move on to someone else. So that was the case with uh, a woman by the name of Paula Sandland. Uh, she was then a 47-year-old woman who coached a softball team at the Parkview Baptist Church. In 2002, Lacey joined the church and the softball team. Sandlin was kind to Lacey and would often give her rides to and from games. In a short period of time, she started telling Sandlin disturbing stories of abuse from family and friends that became increasingly more far-fetched. Sandlin quoted, If she didn't get a certain reaction, she would move on to a bigger lie. End of quote. Lacey started calling Sandlin mom, which made her very uncomfortable. So here are some of the other lies and stories and allegations that Lacey told during this time. Fake injuries, fainting spells from anorexia, stating that she hadn't eaten in days, but had actually been seen eating every day. Fake pregnancies. One time she said she had an abortion from a Baptist hospital that did not do abortions. And when she was called out, she always took it in stride and had some kind of backup lie to the initial one. Yeah, I'm not sure if I know of any uh, Bible Belt uh, Baptist hospitals <laughs> that perform abortions. So that one's definitely uh, out there, too. And I could just see this woman with her starting to call her, Mommy. <laughs> um, I would be uncomfortable with someone calling me Mom. Maybe if my kids' friends have been around for a long time, they're like, hey, Ma. Like, yeah, but weird yeah in high school Lacey was a high achiever getting straight a's and joining many clubs or teams she desperately sought out the approval and attention of teachers she was not very well liked and was considered standoffish and cold as well as a butt kisser oh she, we all know some of those that we went to school with. <laughs> you're like hello mrs smith how are you today here's an apple yeah but she's she's seeking approval from some Adults somehow. Yes, exactly. Validation, attention. So there's a pattern of this because she's not getting it at home, obviously. Yeah. She had a small group of friends, and they would recount that Lacey spoke excessively about wanting to be a mother and how she disliked her mother and her sister. Lacey graduated from Decatur High School on May 26, 2006, when she was 18 years old. She had been volunteering at a daycare at Parkview Baptist Church. After graduating, she got a job at a local daycare called Kids Club. Lacey and Rebecca Spears moved into a two-bedroom apartment at Cedar Key Apartments. Lacey had had one short relationship with a co-worker at the burger joint that she had worked at in the past, but she had shown no real interest in dating. In the summer of 2006, she went on a few dates with a handsome young policeman by the name of Blake Robinson from the Morgan County Sheriff's Office. They only had three dates. He told his co-workers that she had pushed him for sex, which he refused because he was a strict Southern Baptist and didn't believe in premarital sex. She broke it off with him. In October, she enrolled into a nursing program at Calhoun College. I want to pause here for a second and talk about the common MO that you see in Munchausen's or Munchausen's by proxy or medical sociopaths. So, obsessions. And they cling on to people, um, lies, uh, striving for perfection. They want to be better than anyone else, attention-seeking, um, uh, talking about abuse and, and different lies. They're cold. They have arrogant behavior. In Munchausen's by proxy, they have obsession with pregnancy and motherhood. Also, um, their medical education and knowledge is very strong. And they have a long list of vague or either vague or very specific health complaints. 
which we're already starting to see what's with uh with Lacey. Now this is interesting because I know that you've mentioned before, I think in your first episode about Munchausen by proxy, that most Munchausen by proxy is women or mothers and perpetrating it on their children. And you said most Munchausen is more male, which I found very fascinating demographic breakup there. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and I, I really haven't delved too deep into why that is, but definitely that that is it's it's the opposite. While in nursing school, Lacey befriended a fellow classmate and single mother to a 10 month old boy. Her name was Christy Burnham, and she was only 17 years old at the time. Uh, and Christy was also living at home with her mother. Lacey clung on to Christy and became obsessed with her little 10 month old boy, Cameron. She babysat him constantly and people began to think that Lacey was his mother which really troubled Christy for obvious reasons. Lacey was telling people that Cameron was her own son. Another disturbing thing was that in the six-month period that Lacey was caring for Cameron, he was constantly at the doctor's for ear infections. When Cameron was with his mother, they would go away, and there would be, there would be no flare-ups. One weekend when Lacey was caring for Cameron, he disappeared. She was supposed to drop Cameron off on a Sunday night, and... She was nowhere to be seen. Disappeared. What do you mean disappeared? Like, like you just took off with the kid? They couldn't, they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't track her down. So she's supposed to return the kid on the Sunday night and she can't get a hold of her, obviously. This was probably before everybody had a cell phone. And, you know, she's missing with her kid. I'd be panicked. Well, she was, she was frantic. She had no clue as to where they were. I mean, again, who does this? Who takes off with someone's child and, you know, doesn't get in contact with them? Uh, she just, uh, they, they got in contact with her on a, on a mon on the Monday evening and she just casually came back and was like, oh, sorry, lost track of time. Lost track of time? You lost a day? Do you not have a calendar or a clock or? Yeah. I mean, I would be scared shitless. Yeah. That's uh, scary behavior right there. When Lacey returned the little boy to his angry mother, Christy uh, said she would not be allowed to watch him again. And Lacey cried and begged Christy not to take Cameron away from her. Like, come on, don't take Cameron away from me. This is a friend's kid. Yeah, right. It's not your child. Yeah. So, uh -huh. I mean, these are all red flags. Mm -hmm. In August 2006, Lacey became obsessed with another child, six-month-old Jonathan Strain. She knew his mother, Amber Hunt, when they were together at the, at the burger joint I talked about before. Autumn desperately needed help with childcare because she was working and going to school. So Lacey was latching on to her baby, uh, calling him John John, bringing him toys and diapers and clothes. She watched the baby for free, spending almost every day with him. Amber completely trusted Lacey and felt grateful to her. Uh, the perfect scenario for Lacey's madness is she would... Uh, narrow in on a young, vulnerable single mothers and take advantage of their situation. And they would feel indebted to Lacey for her, quote, generous nature. Just like any abuser, when you think about it, they um, look really friendly and nice and, and caring from the beginning. And then they, they suck you in. And then, you know, when they get where they want to be, true nature starts to come out. They fall for this and they weren't knowing that they were leaving their children in the hands of a budding monster. She was starting to tell people that John John was her son 
and she was taking him to several different churches asking for donations to help care for him, posing as a struggling single mother. John John began having constant ear infections as well. Oh, how interesting. Wasn't Cameron getting ear infections? Yep. His uh, eardrums would perforate and pus would leak from his ears. Now, getting a perforated eardrum, that's a severe infection that goes untreated uh, or some kind of injury. Ear aches are the worst. Like, I remember having them as kids and... God, I had one as an adult, and I was like a biggest baby, but... No, they, they are terribly painful. Poor kids, yeah. when they get it, it's horrible. And when they're very young, they can't exactly tell you why, you know, I mean, there's they show the signs, fever, uh, you know, tugging at their ears, different things like that, but, you know, it's it's an incredibly painful thing, and a perforated eardrum, yeah, With pus coming out of With it? With pus coming out of it. Oh, poor kid. Yeah. So, just check this out. Jonathan had 21 documented severe and very painful ear infections and doctor visits while Lacey cared for him. 21. And how many did he have when he was not with Lacey? Zero. Of course. Near the end of 2007, Lacey zeroed on another vulnerable mother, and her name was Shauna Lynch. She had two sons, an 18-month-old McKelly and older brother Zach. Lacey showed no interest in the older brother, but was focusing her attention on McKelly. Uh, she slowly started watching McKelly more and more, as with the other children, and was soon taking Kel Kel for weekends with John John now, and the older sibling who, like I said, she would ignore. Right, because she can't manipulate him. But that's not her focus. Her focus is on, yeah, like on the very young ones, because mm-hmm. maybe, oh, I don't know. Anyway, um... Uh, well, the young ones can't say anything either, right? Right. Um, Shauna saw Lacey as the perfect babysitter. Uh, she was attentive and doting, and her apartment was full of toys. Lacey began to tell people that McKelly was her son, and she too started, ha- and he too started having ear infections. Mm-hmm. When the kids' club daycare shut down in November 2007, Lacey got a job at the Decatur Daycare Center. Lacey had dropped out of nursing school and spent every spare minute looking after John, John, Kel, Kel, and Zach. Shauna was also ditching friends and family to hang out with Lacey. Quote from Shauna. We were very close. I mean, it was to the point where I pushed my family to the side. End of quote. So, you know, that's what Lacey does is alienate people. Like I said, any kind of abuser. Right. Isolate them. Yeah. Obsess. Zero in. Yep. Lacey would suck people in with this. Uh, She would exploit their kind nature and use sympathy as a weapon. She was really wrapping this up the sob stories with Shauna. And here are some of the things that she told her. She said she was molested by a relative, past and present. She would call Shauna in the middle of the night uh, saying things like, he just left me and he hurt me. And then she would go to Shauna's house in the middle of the night saying that she was scared. Uh, In fact, Shauna gave her keys to her house so that she could just come and go. Um, she told her that uh, she was pregnant and she was pregnant about the from the relative that had been abusing her currently. She talked about a fiance named Blake who had been killed in a car accident. Blake. Blake. That's the guy she had the three dates with, the ba- strict Baptist boy who, yeah. who said no to sex. Good yeah. for you, Blake, Baptist boy. Exactly. And pretty amazing that you could impregnate a woman dead. 
Uh, she had known him since childhood, and they were high school sweethearts and soulmates. So this is this is her story she builds up about. Oh wait, I thought she was is she pregnant from whoever's having incest with her or molesting her when she said uh, she call and say he just left and I'm afraid or I'm just he just left and I hurt he hurt me is that meaning a relative? Yeah, the relative was the one that impregnated her, but Blake is her fictitious fiance that you'll see will come up and come and go. He'll. Uh, be alive he'll be dead he'll be alive he'll be dead um you'll see what i mean lazarus yeah like <laughs> lazarus <laughs> um it's his middle name yeah uh shauna's mother janine was even more suspicious of lacy and proceeded to find out as much as possible she confronted lacy and lacy shut down right away and wouldn't answer any questions can you imagine like, you know, nonchalantly trying to, you know, talk to someone, get their information. And she just, like, stops talking and walks away. So do you think her mom was, like, digging up information from her family to, like, about the abuse allegations? Or do you think her daughter shared that with her? Well, I, I don't know for sure. But I think that she saw that she was so possessive of Shauna's time and them being a, a, a close family. Like, who is this person? What's going on here? And why is she dominating my daughter and my grandchild's, uh, you know, time? Yeah, why is my grandchild getting all these ear infections? Yes. Hmm. When Lacey next visited Shauna, the whole family was there to encourage and support Shauna to tell Lacey that she would need space in their friendship. Well, kind of like an an intervention. Well, pretty much, yeah. Uh, Shauna stated that Lacey accused her of betrayal and was verbally abusive to her. Uh, Quote from Shauna, she just freaked out. She was mad. She was cursing. I saw a side of her that I had never seen before. End of quote. Their friendship went cold. Lacey took off to Florida for a few months and lost her baby there. How convenient. Wait, she lost her baby? Her baby from incest? Yeah. Or that from she, Blake? That she was, that she was pregnant I'm with. I'm sure she changed it many times. Yeah. Um, Is it, Now, I don't know. I'm just thinking. I mean, I know it's Bible Belt and stuff, but you would think even if you've been a victim of rape through incest, you should be able to get an abortion. If that was like legitimately true, so why would she have kept carrying the baby? But mm, that's a whole other ball of wax there. Yeah. Let's not get into that right okay. now. <laughs> I'm just, you know, trying to suss out her, her I, I, lies, you know? No, I know. It's just, uh, this, that's a okay, hot so she, button subject. But it, let's just say is. what's happening is, is that she conveniently um, has miscarriages, uh, you know, and she often takes off when things start to heat up for her. Like she'll see that she'll leave Decatur and go to Florida and, and different places like that when it gets hot. When her BS is being, the BS meter is going off too much. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep. When Lacey returned to Decatur, she began to see uh, a guy there by the name of Chris Hill. He was a 23-year-old resident of her apartment complex. Lacey had a reputation at the complex as being cold and distant. In fact, her nickname was The Predator. They started having uh, an unprotected sexual relationship. Chris's relationship with Lacey was unlike anything he had ever had before. Lacey seemed to only want to have sex. Uh, She would go to his place, they'd have sex, and then she would go back to her apartment. There was no warmth. They didn't do anything away from the apartment complex, and they barely spent time together. Chris had a five-year-old son that he would have on some weekends, and she would completely ignore him. Which, you know, considering someone who loved children and wanted to have children, no, she ignored them and funny enough her own son died at five years old chris stated that he only went to Lacey's apartment two to three times and he felt very uncomfortable he said it looked like an overstuffed toy store he could barely tell that even an adult lived there i mean that would creep me out dolls creep me out as it is but <laughs> yeah. if you walk into an adult's apartment and it looks like an overstuffed toy store i'd be like 
I'm yeah, I mean, I buy you a couple of stuffies here and there to make you smile or cheer, cheer you up. But <laughs> you, we should just do that one time. Fill like a room up and say, "Hey, you want to come in?" <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> in early March 2008, Lacey announced that she was pregnant. She told Chris and suggested that they get married. Chris agreed to it because he wanted to have a family. A few days later, out of the blue, she cruelly told Chris that he was not the father. She told him that Blake, the cop, was the father. The one that had died in the car accident. That was her high school sweetheart. Yes. From childhood. Yes. This is what Chris said. Quote, I think she wanted a child, but didn't want a father in the mix. She kept caring for the other mother's kids up there. And now she just wanted a child all to herself. End of quote. Lacey had been a frequent user of MySpace. Now, this is important because I think I talked earlier about, um, well, not I think, I know I talked earlier, I did an episode on all types of Munchausen's. And so um, a part of Munchausen's or one that's become more, um, you're seeing more now is Munchausen's by internet, in which, you know, they people manipulate uh, uh, friends on Facebook, Twitter, places like that uh, to get the attention. Right. Those those Instagram mm-hmm. social influencers and yeah, so just all more attention seeking, right? Exactly. Look at, me, look at me, sympathy for me. Yeah. So Lacey had been a frequent user of MySpace and she started posting pictures of the children she had been babysitting. Her captions suggested that they were her own children. One of the many pictures she posted showed her kissing John John with the caption, a mother's love is unexplainable. Oh God. Creepy. If I saw that, I'd be like, well, especially if it, I was the person and that was my child. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. For God's sakes. Now, okay. My son means the whole entire world and back to me. I love him. I, yes, a mother's love is unexplainable. But I got to tell you, I didn't really post much. Then again, it was years ago, but still it wasn't like, a mother's love is, is unexplainable. It was like, hey, look, this dude got a great mark. Or look at him in his baseball uniform. Or, hey, look at this film he just made. But it it wasn't all, uh, who am I to say? I guess I'm not that much of a sappy person. But it just, to me, it seems like too much. It's like, like she's trying to speak for the child. Or trying to put out, like, uh, a version of herself that just doesn't exist. Okay, so here's the birth of Garnet. Lacey gave birth to Garnet Spears on December 8th, 2008, a healthy baby boy weighing 6 pounds, 14 ounces. Friends went to visit baby Garnet, stopping by the nursery on the way, but they could not find him. It was because Lacey had used an alias because she didn't want Chris to be able to see his baby. That's kind of cruel. Poor guy. And he, like, wanted a family. He's like... Yeah, he just seems like know a, what? a decent bloke. You know? Yeah. He seemed like a... a you're cool, pregnant. Mm, yeah. A decent dude, you know? like Yeah. Like, you're pregnant. You want to get married? All right. And we've got a five... I've got a five-year-old and let's let's have a family. And then she's like, no, you're not the father. Blake's the father. It sounds like Young and the Restless or something. Yeah. But the thing is, this this guy, regardless, he is the father of that child. He has every right. Unless he's a monster, he has every right to be in that child's life. Wait a minute. She said that he wasn't the father. So why did she have to use an alias? If he wasn't Well, because the he didn't believe that. Yeah, I know, but if, if she convinced him that No, know. but he could still get in, right? And and see the child. Right. She was just doing whatever she could to to block him. Manipulator. Yeah. 
Two days later, Lacey and Garnet were discharged home and healthy. And this, unfortunately, is where it all begins. Um, well, at least with Garnet, unfortunately. Two days after being discharged home, Lacey returned to the ER, saying that her newborn had a high fever, jaundice, and was pulling at his ears. Okay, I'm going to call bullshit on this. First of all, if the child was jaundice, you'd see it. You can't just say my child is jaundice. You usually, you need a blood test and a visual to see that. So, whatever. And four-day-olds do not tug at their ears. Okay? They don't have the... They can't. They're just like little blobby amoebas, aren't they? <laughs> no, they're way better than that, Mary. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, I mean, they don't have, like... A blobby amoeba. <laughs> Well, they're just floppy. Like Shame they can't. on you. I, I know, know what you mean. No, they they don't have the, the, the muscle coordination. Yeah, nothing like that. So, I mean, they're just completely helpless. So, the doctor found absolutely nothing wrong with Garnet and sent them back home with a clean bill of health. Chris tried to see his son, but she continued to refuse, and she threatened to call the police. And Chris, unfortunately, throughout the years, would only see his son through the apartment window. He would, you know, try to look outside and see how he was doing. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, Lacey continued to maintain that Blake was the father. Lacey had been posting a flurry of pictures on MySpace, most of them with John John and Garnet with the captions, brothers and best friends, or me and my babies. On December the 26th, Garnet was back in the hospital, and Lacey posted many pictures of him in the hospital with an IV coming out of his little arm. Lacey Spears had been identified early on of suspected Munchausen's by proxy. I think I'm going to say MBB from now on. Um, Baby Garnet had been in the hospital for many visits before he was even a month old. She would tell the doctors that he would not eat and he was vomiting and bleeding from the ears. A pediatrician, Melissa Young, Dr. Melissa Young King, never saw any signs of this. And she charted her suspicions in Garnet's medical record. The doctor was also surprised by Lacey's medical knowledge. Another hallmark of MBP is having an unusual amount of medical knowledge. So she did go to nursing school. Then she dropped out of nursing school. And it wouldn't just be that that she got the knowledge from. You know, she would have been digging around. Social services was called because Spears verbalized to the doctor that she wanted to harm the baby. They tried to investigate, but she was never home or canceled appointments or wouldn't answer the phone. And they just, you know, closed the case. Oh, yeah. A mother of a, you know, uh, two months. Oh, sorry. A mother of a one month old says she wants to harm the baby. And, oh, we can get a hold of her. We'll just we'll close the case. Not getting the results she wanted and feeling the heat from the Decatur Hospital, she started taking baby Garnet to Huntsville Hospital. She convinced the doctors that he needed a surgical procedure for reflux. Now, I'm pretty sure that Decatur Hospital and Huntsville Hospital weren't sharing information and that they knew nothing of each other's visits. Had they, the surgery may never have happened. The surgery performed on the perfectly healthy baby was a Neeson fundoplication. What is this? Okay, so let's talk about this a bit. The indication for this type of surgery in infants is for gastroesophageal reflux disease, also known as GERD, when all other medical management has failed. GERD is a digestive disorder that affects the lower esophageal sphincter that connects the esophagus to the stomach. 
And the sphincter normally prevents food from moving in and out of the stomach back into the esophagus. So, you know, some people would say, you know, they have heartburn and getting, you know. Repeating? (laughs) Like, that sausage is repeating. (laughs) Whatever in grits, I don't know, something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's people out there that Grandma's baked beans. Um, yeah. The surgery corrects the GERD by creating an improved valve mechanism at the bottom of the esophagus, and it prevents the flow of acids upwards. For a baby who truly has GERD, this improves their health dramatically, and it may even be life-saving. To sum this up as simply as possible, the surgery prevents the child from ever being able to vomit. Okay, that's a pretty critical point. And I'm thinking, like, with adults, we can take in acids, we can sit up, we can elevate our bed or something like that. But with babies, you know, they're lying down most of the time. So, And we can regulate our own diet, right? And they could, if they were to vomit up and choke on it, like that could be dangerous, right? So I could see why a child who actually had this, it would be very important. But clearly he did not have it. No, it's it's as much as it's more kind of quote unquote common. And this is usually, this is often done, not often, but this is a procedure that is done to adults. It's not done often in children. And when it is, it's because a child's very sick. Which makes me go, why did like uh, I don't I don't see enough evidence for the doctors just to go in and do such a radical surgery. Are they too tiny at that size to to do any kind of scope? Uh I like I imagine normally you would have like an adult, you'd have a barium swallow or endoscopy or something to see the mechanism if it's that I don't know a lot about, to be okay. honest. Um, I guess that's a pediatric specialty yeah. or something. Well, let's get let's move on here um, to see if we can learn some more things. Um, before Garnet had his surgery, Lacey started to exhibit her more sinister side. When she went out for a meal with her friend, she struck Garnet on his leg. He was weeks old because he was acting out. This makes me furious. How, how does an infant act out? You don't ever need they to can't... hit your kid, okay? Ever. But when they're tiny, they there is no ever any reason. Okay, yeah, there's some people that spank and that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into that because, you know, there's definitely some spankings out there and they're not abuse, whatever. But, okay, that's another hot button topic. But let's just say hitting a baby, that's just absolutely asinine and abusive. Another occasion, Lacey was out shopping with Garnet and a, with a friend and she started screaming at the little boy. Um, in the Walmart parking lot. And her friend was so concerned that she called the uh, children's aid, uh, concerned for his welfare. He was only seven weeks old. What could a seven-week-old baby do that you'd need to scream at them? What could a one-year-old do? What could a two-year-old do? I mean, we can control ourselves, can't we? Yes. Yes. You know, stuff can get to us, but we can control ourselves. I wasn't a perfect parent. I might have uttered some loud noises at my son when he was a teenager. <laughs> Heavy sighs of exasperation. I got it him. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, but still, seven weeks old, what the heck could have... It's baby. Nothing. Yeah, They're completely dependent it, on Zero. Him. Zero can happen. It shows that just how whack she is. Uh, three days later, he had a surgery. So three days before this sick, sick, sick little baby needs surgery... She's smacking him and screaming at him. It was performed by a pediatric uh, GI by the name of Dr. Randall McClellan, who diagnosed him with failure to thrive and GERD. So the Nissan fundification is usually performed laparoscopically. 
Um, but in this instance, they did um, an open, more radical surgery by making an incision in the in his belly. And as a result of this procedure, Gar- Garnick would never be able to vomit again. An important thing to remember. Now, most of us don't enjoy vomiting. It does serve a purpose, though, uh, for our bodily function by protecting us from, you know, if we were to ingest some poison or have food poisoning, different things like that. You know, being able to throw up is our body's way of protecting itself by purging the poison. Um, So that's kind of scary that, uh, you know, yes, in a very sick child, but especially when we know how uh, Garnet died and was sick, it, it played a huge role. I wonder, like, was this something she thought of then? Like, if I get this surgery... I can feed him things that will make him sick and he can't throw it up. Or was she sort of like, oh, this is a more serious surgery. Um, you know, I will get a lot of attention for this. And the thought of poisoning him and not being able to throw up came later. I don't know if it came before, then that's pretty diabolical. Yeah. Well, she is. Um, okay. Like evil diabolical. It, I <laughs> And she is. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if diabolical could be anything other than evil, evil yeah. but yeah. anyway. He was discharged from the hospital on February 11th, 2009. And Lacey was back at the hospital a couple of days later, stating that he wouldn't take a bottle, uh, wouldn't take formula. So the doctor instructed the nurse to try feeding Garnet. Um, and maybe talk to her about nursing, about feeding, um, just just to observe and maybe do some um, health teaching. Right, because sometimes new mums may not kind of get it, or they're just having. Well, maybe sometimes don't la- you know have a hard time latching and and different things like that, and it's a it's a stressful time, especially if it's uh, your first child. Um, the nurse took the bottle from Lacey and started to feed Garnet, and all of a sudden he went floppy. He was completely lethargic. And then had seizures and became unresponsive. So this was a bottle that Lacey had prepared that the nurse then fed to Garnet. Exactly. The doctors um, were immediately concerned, of course, and drew blood. And his sodium level was morbidly high at 180. Well, well, okay, that's high, I guess. But what's it supposed to be normally? It's usually between 135 to 145. And 145 being, you know, pushing it. Okay. 180. I don't know how anybody can survive a 180. Shortly after the blood was drawn, he started having the seizures and stopped breathing. So what caused this? What's the the chain reaction? Well, I mean, this is hypernatremia. And um, the signs and symptoms are that they're extremely dehydrated. uh, Lethargy, restlessness, hyperreflexia, spasticity, hyperthermia, seizures, cranial hemorrhage. Acute tubular necrosis, so your uh, your kidneys start to die. Venous sinus thrombosis, so blood clots. And brain shrinkage. So what that means is that the sodium pulls water from the tissues, such as the organs in the brain, to normalize the, the sodium level, levels in the body. And it often has disastrous consequences. So you're just sucking water from the most important parts of your body right so at 180 i mean over 145 is starting to be considered really dangerous when you 
are at 180 and you're uh, a couple month old baby. He was airlifted to Children of Alabama Hospital. Um, by the time he got there, they were able to get his sodium to 165, which is still, you know, dangerously high. Um, the treatment is to give uh, normal saline or D545, which is like sugar and half normal saline. Now, this might have changed. So um, in different hospitals, a different protocol. But let's just say that um, over 48 hours, they give fluids uh, to normalize the the, the body. And you can't give it faster, especially in infants, because it causes uh, cerebral edema or swelling in the brain. Um, right. So you'd have to give it slowly. They'd have to be like intubated, I guess. They'd have to be. Well, I mean, the closest thing I guess I can see is when we'd have uh, newly diagnosed children come in in ketoacidosis, um, uh, you know, uh, newly diagnosed uh, diabetics and there's a huge like a very intensive uh, protocol that you have to follow to normalize them slowly and it's obviously different for children and infants because they're just so delicate like oh metabolic balance can go to whack so easily oh for sure yeah so uh, a garnet was admitted and um to the hospital and they didn't know if he was going to survive or he would have permanent brain damage uh his fluids were uh, carefully Uh, and gradually increased to normalize his sodium levels. Two days, he was intubated and then extubated, and he was able to breathe on his own, and he spent 11 days in total in the hospital with no permanent side effects, which is an absolute miracle. He was transferred out of the PICU uh, on uh, February 13, 2009, and he was only two months old at the time. Two days after, he was transferred from the PICU to a general floor, and GI doctor... Specialist Dr. Sarah Tucker was assigned to observe and conduct a feeding evaluation and to determine why Garnet was having so much trouble putting on weight. So Dr. Tucker observed the baby over a period of two days, and there was no apparent issue. The medical staff ran a battery of tests on him, and they were mystified as to why he was so sick and why his sodium levels were so high. At this time, too, he's at a third hospital, right? So he's been to Decatur, Huntsville, and now the Children's of Alabama Hospital. So these are the tests they ran on this poor little dude. Uh, Lumbar puncture, MRI, CT scan, upper GI series, along with um, extensive blood work, stool samples, you you know, uh, urinary catheter to, to get fluid, stuff like that, to determine why he had failure to thrive. And what caused the hypernatremia. And in addition, they wanted to rule out uh, possible genetic and metabolic causes. No abnormalities were discovered. During this time, Lacey was continuously journaling Garnet's ordeal on MySpace. And she was posting pictures of this poor suffering little dude with when he was intubated with IVs and you name it coming out of him. So sympathy, attention seeking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, you poor mom, you poor... Yeah, poor babe. Exactly. Um, after her friend Autumn saw these pictures, she wondered if maybe it was, in fact, Lacey that was causing uh, this boy to be sick. So even friends were kind of like, hmm, yeah. I'm not buying it. Yeah. And the staff at the Children's of Alabama Hospital began to suspect that Lacey was causing this illness in her child. So they quarantined her from Garnet for four days. And she lost her shit 
Oh, did she? Yeah. So basically what they said, were you can't be near the baby? Or? For, yeah, for four days. You can't see him for four days. Because, you know, if they wanted to separate. And of course, you know, she had to have every second of control that she could. And clearly, if she was doing something, it would disprove uh, yeah. that she wasn't or that she was, and right? How can I post pictures on my MySpace if I can't see him for four days? Yeah. Um. So guess what happened during those four days? He ate 100% uh, normally with no feeding issues. It 100% conflicted with what Lacey uh, had described. So they started asking her even more questions. So they asked her about the feeding regime. And this is what she said, that she was feeding a uh, formula or uh, feeding him one-third breast milk and two-thirds Pedialyte diluted. And she said that her doctor told her to do that. Now, no doctor in their right mind would tell a mother to give diluted breast milk and diluted Pedialyte together what, what, to a child. Why would you even give a child Pedialyte? Like well, because if they were, if they had been vomiting a lot and if they were dehydrated, okay. but when we're talking, this is a tiny, tiny little baby, you know, oh yeah, just, you know what, put in a third breast milk, throw in a little bit of uh, Pedialyte and top it up with some water. You, and you, you can't, you don't dilute babies uh, stuff. You, you, you can't give them, they'll get water intoxication. You, you're not supposed to just give them straight water. Right. That's what I remember you saying. Like, you don't give babies water until... It'll dilute their little bloodstreams. Like, they just can't handle it. Um, I mean, that's in layman's terms, but pretty much that's what it is. Um, so, the doctor, the attending physician, was uh, Dr. Pass. And he was very suspect of her behaviors. And this is a quote from him. I did not believe her. No physician would advise a patient to feed breast milk and formula diluted to this extent because it would cause electrolyte abnormalities and malnutrition. Furthermore, he wrote at a later date, we were clearly concerned about Garnet's mother's ability to properly feed and care for him. It could be as a result of intentional administration of inappropriate episodic administration of extra salt to Garnet. The addition of salt could result in his high serum sodium. End of quote. Something also to think about at this time is that a little Garnet wouldn't even been able to throw up anything because of his surgery. And uh, that would have made it that much worse. Uh, a few days after his discharge, Lacey went to lunch with her friend Kara at a Mexican restaurant. And her friend got very concerned when Lacey was putting hot salsa in his mouth. What? The actual? Wait, I have to do an Erica. I don't understand. No. Uh, a baby that just got out of hospital who almost died, who has severe abdominal problems and had to have surgery and on and on and on. Let's pop a little hot sauce in his mouth. Hot sauce? Or hot hot salsa. What's the difference? You know what I mean? Sorry, I'm not meaning to get on you here. No, like, but I'm just saying like, but they don't, they're still on like formula and pablum and whatever. Well, well let's, let's just, okay. Again, this... I haven't had a baby in a while and I haven't worked in, in peds in a while, but my understanding is it maybe it's changed. You guys let me know. But when, when do babies start on solid food? Right? Well, I mean, it is said that up until six month old, that they, all they need is formula. Well, some places say, you know, Oh God, you know, things have changed dramatically over the years. 
And then when they, in between four to six months old, they can be started on rice cereal like pablum. And that six to eight months, they can start introducing fruit and vegetables, but with no added sugar or salt. Around eight to 10 months old, you can start serving like chopped soft foods like cheese and banana and really well-cooked meat, uh, mashed potatoes, you know, like those teething crackers, whatever. So, I mean, it changes culture to culture, but pretty much um, that's a very loose version of what they can eat. So diluting his food and sticking hot salsa in his mouth, among the other things. That spring, Garnet was brought into a healthcare clinic in the ER for chronic ear infections with blood and pus in both ears. The doctor was suspicious and reported their concerns to the child welfare agency. They suspected that they were, that she was causing the infections. And not only did he have these ear infections, he also had perforations in his eardrums. She went to visit an ENT doctor, Dr. Copeland on April 6th. And he did an examination on his ears and he had bilateral large perforations in his eardrums. Five weeks later, Lacey's pediatrician referred Garnet to another ENT, Dr. Alice Morgan. She wanted a second opinion. Garnet's pediatrician also forwarded all of his records along with Dr. Copeland's notes and records, stating that he suspected Munchausen's by proxy. Once Dr. Morgan received all of the documents and examined Garnet, she found him to be, although he's structurally normal, he did have a large perforation in his right eardrum and fresh blood in both his ears. Dr. Morgan was immediately suspicious because his ears shouldn't have should have been healed by now from the prior um, you know, infection and perforations. Another hallmark of Munchausen's by proxy is that the conditions they get don't resolve after proper treatment. Um, and, you know, this is definitely a dead giveaway. It's a red flag. If you get an infection, bacterial infection, you're given antibiotics, it should go away. Provided you take the antibiotics or someone yeah. administers them properly. Unless it's child. like a really bad infection and you might have to take two goes arounds. But you know what I mean? If you break your arm, you get it fixed, you put a cast on it, it heals. It shouldn't break over and over or not heal unless you have a comorbid condition. So that's what keeps happening is that there's no reason why he should have had all these infections. They should have just cleared up and maybe he would have gotten more because he had some problems, but not at the rate and severity that he was getting them. Especially if the second ENT didn't find any structural Well, none of them did, right? right. He, got, he got like, a, they all found him to be structurally normal. Um, a couple of days after Garnet turned six months old, Lacey brought him to the hospital. This was Decatur General, so, you know, going back and forth, saying he was dehydrated from vomiting. He can't vomit. But the Decatur Hospital didn't know about the surgery that he had gotten at the other hospital. So how dangerous is that by not giving information like that? Like you can't but withhold this information. It's, it's so unsafe. The nurse assigned to care for Garnet on that day was Ginger Dobbs Anderson. And she happened to also be the nurse in attendance on the day that Garnet was airlifted to the hospital when he was in serious condition. She was, in fact, one of the nurses that helped save his life. So she remembered Lacey. Uh, an IV was put in his arm and fluids were given. And Ginger offered to sit with him at the nurse's station. She wanted to observe 
um, how he was eating. And he said, she said to Lacey, oh, I just want to give you a break. So she brought him to the station. And for two hours, this little guy greedily ate. Um, he fed perfectly. There were no problems whatsoever. And she even tried to talk to Lacey, you know, to instruct her about, you know, this is a good way or this is, you know, best practice for feeding him or, you know, just to, to health teach. Right. I mean, that's part of nurses' jobs, right? I'm sure there's times that... Oh, for sure, yeah. You kind of befriend... Not befriend them, but maybe, but like... Well, you just... Give, give him you, some helpful hints and tips. Well, that's the thing. Like if the that, babies right? are having like, you know, issues with feeding and stuff like that, you do your best to, to either help health teach them or bring someone, a consultant in to help teach them. But Lacey, you know, she denied that she was doing it perfectly well and, and you know, that she knew what she was doing. An important thing to note here, um, aside from all of that, is that she was now getting Medicaid for Garnet. And had him listed as a disabled child. And because of this, and since that happened, the visits to the hospital were even more frequent. Um, hospital ER. She started going every day or every other day with something new or worsened signs and symptoms related to ENT or stomach issues. Until the point where he had to be admitted. So she would bring him in and in and in and in. Make sure he got sicker and sicker and sicker. And then they had to admit him. Right, and here in Canada, we have socialized health care, so we don't pay for it anyway. I mean, we pay indirectly through our taxes. But in the States, having some sort of subsidy or something that pays for it is huge because, you know, oftentimes you would just treat at home if it was a something that you could treat at home, right? Because you can't well, afford it. There are millions of adults and children that desperately need health care, and then you've got this piece of shit, you know, taking a perfectly healthy child in day after day after day. Um, so there was a never ending. Um, th he had never ending ear infections that just couldn't be explained. Here's a quote from uh, uh, Ginger. He had massive ear infections that kids don't get. It was the, it was kind of gross. He had pus and blood leaking out of his ears. They had to put towels and stuff under his ears to catch the pus. I don't know what she was doing, but that was the sickest child I've ever seen. End of quote. So the hospital, again, reported her to um, Children's Services. And again, there was no record of any investigation or follow-up done in regards to their concerns. On June 20th, 2009, Lacey brought Garnet back to the Decatur Hospital again for a serious condition. And once again, was airlifted to the hospital. The call log from the air flight nurse said, quote, child en route to hospital with bleeding from ears, eyes, nose, mouth, end of quote. So this time, instead of high sodium, he was, I would think, septic. Or she gave him rat poison or warfarin or something. Oh, I don't know. I, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to bring up. I'm thinking, I started to think, like, how I even was searching, oh my God, if some people ran my search history or went into it they think i was some sick son of a bitch because of the things i type in to find answers to thanks let me just look up rat poisoning well no i typed in how would a mother give a child an ear infection <laughs> and so it's like 
if someone looked in, they'd be like, what is wrong with this bitch? But the mm. fact is, like, what did she do? Did she hold his head underwater? Was she injecting dirty water into his ears? Was she pushing something into his ears to perforate and then putting stuff in afterwards to cause mm. the infection? Like, whatever she was doing was horrific. But I, I couldn't nail down exactly what it was that she was doing. It could have been any number of those things or all of them, right? Oh it just God. makes me sick. So uh, four days later, uh, once his condition had stabilized, uh, he had surgery on his ears. Um, and uh, so they would have to, like I said, stabilize him so he wasn't so infected. Right. So uh, she they could safely do surgery on him. Finally made it bad enough that a guy needed, the poor little guy needed surgery. Yeah. So during this time, Lacey took dozens of pictures of him before and after surgery with him looking gravely ill. She posted all of these um, pictures on MySpace with quotes like, Good night, little prince. He's my whole world. He sleeps with his mummy every night, praying before surgery. That is my little prince. I, I'm, oh, anyway. I, I just, it, it sickens me. Now, Ginger was so concerned, this nurse Ginger was so concerned about Garnet's health uh, and Lacey's parenting that she befriended Lacey in order to keep an eye on Garnet. This is what she said, quote, she didn't know how to be a mother. She would come in to see me at the hospital telling me that she had no family support and she needed a babysitter for Garnet. I thought I could teach her how to be a better parent. So I became a sitter on my days off. End of quote. Now, I mean, that's a bit out there for a nurse to do that. I mean, that's getting a little close for the situation. I, I don't know, uh, you know, if that's morally, ethically the right thing to do, but, you know, she, she took it in her, her own um, hands. I think she met, was well-meaning and just really wanted to help this little guy and try to keep him safe. Here's another quote from Ginger. She said, quote, whenever I sat with Garnet for meals, um, he'd eat everything in sight and had no issues, end of quote. In August 2009, Lacey took Garnet to Florida to visit her grandmother and uncle. Lacey posted tons of pics of Garnet with her family, uh, and he seems very healthy and happy and enjoying the beach. And here's some of the quotes. My mummy is the best. I love you, mummy. He's my whole world. Going to live here again someday soon. Um, so, again, she's speaking for him. Right. And right. They're, like they're going telling to... the world, my mummy is the best. Well, this is what she's saying about herself. I love you, mummy. She's saying it's my son loves me a lot. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like she's, she's speaking words for him. Right. And this is a kid who has a history of ear infections and has had surgery at the beach. Yes. Yes. In the ocean? In the ocean. Right. Wasn't that a great way of giving him even more infections? Have awesome. him go swim in salt water mm -hmm. around sand. Mm -hmm. God knows what. So, of course, you know, things started to get hot for her. So what did she do? She went to Florida to try to, you know, until things cooled down. Upon returning from her visit with her family in Florida, Lacey decided that Garnet now needed to have a feeding tube uh, implanted in his stomach. And because uh, she insisted that he still wasn't feeding. She pushed for this at the Decatur General Hospital, but they refused. Nurse Ginger and the staff there insisted that it wasn't necessary. So she went hospital shopping, again, common to MBP, and convinced Dr. Albert Chong at Children's Hospital of Alabama to perform the procedure. 
Dr. Chong diagnosed uh, Garnet with failure to thrive on September 1st, 2009. He did have the procedure. Garnet was 10 months old at the time. So how is this procedure done? Well, an incision is made into the abdomen, uh, into the stomach. And for a little guy that age, about um, an inch and a half long tube is put into place and it has a balloon on one end, which uh, in the abdomen, so it stops it from um, coming out. And on the other end, it sort of looks like when you blow up a beach ball and you have that little, you blow in and that little stopper part, and that's where you put in, um, you know, uh, feedings and things like that and to uh, blow up the balloon or to... um, you know, just to have gases come off and stuff like that. So it's like a like a one-way valve. Stuff can go in but can't come out. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, that's what was inserted into his abdomen. So 10 months old, he now has, he can't vomit. He's had a fundification. He now has a, a feeding tube in so he can fe- be fed directly into his abdomen through a syringe or a feeding pump. He's had multiple, multiple, multiple ear infections, untold amounts, sepsis, um, you name it. Two, twice being airlifted and too many to count um, hospitalizations. Ten months old. (sighs) Big sigh. So she would now be able to feed Garnet whatever she wanted directly into his stomach. That's dangerous for MPV. If she, if she's diagnosed or even thought of being diagnosed with Munchausen's by proxy, you just gave free reign to poison your child. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't even have to like get it past his lips, where you'd be like, "Look, that right?" Yeah, doesn't even have to taste it. It's just in there, and you can't throw it up. So she posted pictures of Garnet immediately post off with the captions of. Mommy, I feel bad, and my belly hurts. On September 23rd, she signed up for a Twitter account. So now she's got Facebook, Twitter, and MySpace. And the very first thing she posted was, please pray for my little prince. He has another bad ear infection, end of quote. Now, if you're interested, this Twitter page is still up. And you can find it at at Garnet's Mummy. And all the tweets are there. And oh, God. if you don't want to throw your phone across the room, you might want to just look at it in bits and pieces. I actually, I actually um, tried to look up her Facebook account. Facebook account, I believe it's canceled. I couldn't find it, but I did find an account where it's Mummies for Lacey Spears, where they support her. And basically, we need to show support for this poor woman that lost her five-year-old. So there's a bunch of yahoos on that page, i got to tell you. And I tried to look up MySpace. MySpace has changed. <laughs> I didn't even know it still existed. I know. I signed up, and I, I couldn't um, It was I couldn't really um, find. There was just the odd picture that I could find. Anyway, um, so at the same time, she started telling her friends that she was planning to have another child. And she wanted to name this child Granite. Garnet and Granite. Garnet and Granite. And their father, Blake, the dead cop sweetheart from high school. Did you call him a cub sweetheart? No, cop. 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 <laughs> the, the dead cub. Okay. <laughs> um, she continued to tweet incessantly uh, for from this point on. 
and was extremely active on all social media accounts that she had. So she basically spent most of her time just typing away update by update by update, picture by picture by picture. So she was really, really found a spot where she can get the attention she wanted. Yeah. Oh, my God. You can imagine her today, the social media that's out there. Instagram, Tumblr. Um, yeah, the other social media. Instagram, Snapchat, Tumblr. Oh, what's that? Tickety-talk? Flickety-flock? What's oh, that God, called? the TikTok. Yeah. That's little videos now. So she, oh, YouTube. My oh, my God. Well, YouTube, I guess. But you know what? Maybe she might have been, uh, I don't know, what is it possible that she might have been picked up on earlier? Because if she was blasting it everywhere, that maybe uh, it's hard to say because there's still it's still going on um, around the world. Sure. Uh, um, okay, so during this time, Ginger was spending even more time uh, with uh, Garnet and Lacey because she had uh, was recovering from brain surgery. Now I don't know if it was minor; it must have been not too bad because she could spend time and and babysit him. I could never find the reason why she was off uh, what type of brain surgery. Hmm. Anyway, uh, regardless, the nurse continued to develop a friendship with Lacey and um, she recounted all, Lacey recounted all of her stories uh, about abuse and, and things like that uh, to her. A new fresh ear. Yeah, basically uh, that's exactly it. Um, So she told her all about her, uh, the rapes from family, um, her fictitious uh, father, Blake uh, Garnet's father, Blake, um, and uh, all of his health issues and all of her health issues. And she said she didn't believe any one of them. And she said that she believed that Lacey was the biggest liar that she had ever met, That in quotes. Um, so Ginger cultivated this faux friendship so she could continue to watch out for Garnet. Somebody had to. Yeah. In the first week of January 2010, uh, Garnet's pediatrician, Dr. Wheats, felt that she could no longer manage Garnet's ear infections. So Dr. Wheats referred Lacey to an even uh, uh, to another doctor. Uh, it's uh, Dr. Christopher Wooten. Um, and this guy is in Nashville, which was in another state and over 115 kilometers away or no sorry 115 miles away that's an awful long way to go see an ent yeah well i mean some people up north in communities here say in ontario might have to come to toronto or something to see a specialist it might not be a specialist of some sort but what was his mindset or so was him her whoever it was the doctors referring to this other, I guess, maybe more specialized ENT? Or yeah, maybe it- thinking she wouldn't go so far. And right. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. This th- Nothing was going to stop this woman, um, mm-hmm. no matter what. So she took him to see uh, this doctor, and his examination was unremarkable. So, you know, again, structurally fine. Um, and three weeks later, he was back. And upon examination, Dr. Wooten found a new perforation in his right ear. He thought it was suspicious and refused to put tubes in his ears. Yeah, tubes are kind of like how the G-tube would be, right? Sort of an easy way to get all that shit in there. Oh, God. Could end up with meningitis. I don't know how he didn't. When you think about it, it's a miracle that he never did. Yeah. Encephalitis, meningitis, (sighs) something. A couple of days later, Garnet was admitted to the hospital for emergency surgery on his ears. And he was so sick that he ended up in PICU. Lacey was posting play-by-play updates on social media 
But on Facebook, someone called her out and was asking what she was doing to her kid. Lacey responded furiously. This is what she wrote. Someday all the lies, gossip, judgments I watch you create will come back around and smack you in the worst way possible. End of quote. Remember, you could never, ever, ever in a million years say anything to um, be contrary to anything she said. Like she was never wrong. No, because she was the best mom in the whole wide world. Yeah, she was like, F you, if you like, you know, had any different view than she did or called her on anything. So since she was, it seemed that she wasn't getting enough attention from, you know, everything that's happened so far, she started telling some uh, people that he had actually had open heart surgery, which of course never happened. He didn't have, I'm surprised by this point, but no, he didn't have that. Well, it's come up with a bigger and badder lie, right? Lacey and her sister Rebecca were now taking Garnet to churches in the Decatur area, asking for donations and money and supplies in order to take care of him. And this is where the, when I was talking about Decatur, having um, the most churches per capita. Perfect. (laughs) So could you imagine that she's going corner to corner to corner uh, begging for um, money, toys, clothes, supplies, you name it. Here's a quote from one of the accountants at uh, one of the churches there said, uh, quote, they church hopped. Lacey would go to churches with Garnet as a single mom in need, asking for donations. They did this on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday Bible studies and Sunday services. They went to every woman's ministry they could hit, end of quote. So now she was, you know, frauding out churches. So she's like playing on their sympathies and... yeah. That's why, you know, the apartment looked like a toy store as well, right? Right. (laughs) There's a picture that shows um, the room of her apartment. And honestly, there was like six children's stoves. Like, you know, they have like, like, you know, little Betty Crocker. Yeah. And like, and they had like three kitchen sets and like she had two, three, four, five of each thing. And, and, you know, like, (sighs) so the church members generously gave money for rent as well as donations of clothes, toys, and furniture. Um, and she would hit half a dozen uh, churches. They would get to know her. They would ask her to leave, and then she would move on to another half a dozen. So she, she was just a, a, ugh, just a piece of shit overall. The other thing, too, is that a couple of the churches asked her to leave because they caught her stealing anything she could get her hands on. <laughs> Seriously? So she's in church. Who steals from a church? Yeah, I know. And... Well, if you're going to steal something from a church, too, I mean, I'm thinking that, okay, maybe Bibles or something like that. But they also have, like, candles and, you know what I mean? Like, they have more elaborate things that are that are up where they preach and stuff like that. Sometimes they have musical instruments and, and things like that. So she was just blatantly stealing everything she could get her hands on. As Ginger continued to spend more time with Lacey and Garnet, she observed more behaviors that concerned her and her suspicions that Lacey was abusive towards Garnet were further confirmed. As before, Garnet continued to eat all types of food with her, while Lacey would only feed him pureed food through his YouTube. One of the most jarring acts of abuse she witnessed towards him was when um, she she found Lacey holding Garnet's head underwater in the bathtub when she lost her temper with him. Uh, I actually have a quote about this that I'm going to play here where it's Ginger actually telling the story about what happened. The The audio isn't great, and this lady has a bit of a, a strong accent, uh, so um, I'm just going to read 
uh, one of her quotes here, and then I'll play it. Uh, she, uh, this is a quote. Uh, she had him in the bathtub, and he was whining because she was pouring water over his head. Suddenly, Lacey flew into a rage, grabbing Garnet's head and holding it under the water. And I literally jumped onto her to stop her. That's when I got him dressed and took him out of the house. End of quote. So I'm going to play that clip. Here we go. There was an incident where she kind of lost control with Garnet. I intervened, took Garnet away, left for hours, come back. She apologized to me, to him. She sincerely seemed sorry. So I did not call CPS or anything. And she never... She was giving him a bath, and um, basically he was flying because the water was cold, and she was dumping it on his head, and she held him down in the bathtub. Yes, and she told me at that time, she said, you cannot tell me that you've never lost it with your kids. And I said, yes, ma'am, I can tell you I've never lost it with either one of my kids like that. That's not normal. Another time, Lacey was called out on Facebook um, for abusing him. And this is what she this is what she wrote on Facebook, quote, feeling like a rather horrible mother tonight, screamed at my child because he screamed at me. Worst of all, I gave him I gave him a freezing cold bath because I asked him not to play with the spigot. End of quote. Uh, Okay, so she holds his head underwater and gives him freezing cold baths and... Or he doesn't like water poured over his ears. I wonder why. And getting ear infections. Traumatized his poor ears and head. And she she screamed at him because he screamed at her. Yeah, who's the adult here? And the fact that she's posting this on Facebook shows the lack of insight. Like she is like, oh, feel bad for me. I had a rough night. Meanwhile, she's just blatantly admitting to abuse. Right. Like, giving she, details of her own abuse to her child. Was she expecting people to go, oh, you know, we all have days oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. No, but pretty much, yeah. So, little John John's grandmother saw the post, and she immediately filed a report with the um, Children's Aid. Good. Good for her. And this is what she wrote. It was the most disturbing thing. I wouldn't give a dog a freezing bath. My grandson had 21 ear infections while Lacey babysat him. So, was she putting water in his ears? Was she holding him underwater? What was she doing? I don't know. End of quote. God, could you imagine the realization of of that? Like afterwards, like seeing that post and then realizing, holy crap, my grandkid was under this woman's care. And he had all these ear infections, light bulb, you know, big red flags and light bulbs. Yeah. I'm glad she reported her, though. Well, I mean. Did it it do any good, though? No, there was never any recorded follow up. Um, from the Department of Human uh, Resources with regards to this incident. So this is where we're going to end up today because um, uh, just this is where we're going to end up today. It was a lot of information. That's a lot of it. information. And um, so what's coming up na- next? Uh, Lacey moves to Clearwater, Florida with her dying uncle and elderly grandmother. She continues her pattern of taking advantage of family, new friends, and her abuse of Garnet worsens. This is why it's taken me three months to write this. <laughs> I will just sit, like, sometimes or just sitting, I'm doing some work, Karen's doing some work, and should be, like, reading and writing, and I always hear this big, like, oh, I hate that woman, I hate that woman. <laughs> or we'd go for a walk, and she'd tell me about what she was writing and stuff, and it's it's tough when you, I don't think there's anything worse than abuse of children or animals. Like, they just... 
It's so, or so the wrong. elderly, or the elderly, yes, well, or disabled. It, like I mean, innocent, innocence. That right. Can't. I mean, any abuse isn't good, but a, especially a, children, a ch- children yeah. that can't defend themselves. It's the worst. And to make it even more worse, if it's from a parent, because that's you know the most vulnerable situation that they can be in. They're supposed to protect them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the end of uh, today's episode. And uh, hopefully in the next eight months, I'll get the second one to you. <laughs> no, it'll come up. It'll come up quicker. Thank you for hanging in and uh, putting up with my uh, big space in between. I'm going to continue on with episodes with Erica and some listeners. And uh, just me. so. Uh, oh, yeah, Mary. Don't forget about me. Well, you guys know about Mary. We're always talking about Mary because, you know, Mary is the sweetest, nicest person that you could ever meet. Oh, thank you, guys. You're so sweet. See? Even when you call her sweet, she calls you sweet back. (laughs) Okay, so let's end today's episode. Remember, you guys, in these crazy times, please take care of yourselves. Socially distance yourselves, which I'm sure you're already doing. Try to reach out by phone or internet if you're struggling with your mental health on our Facebook page, if you want, whatever you need, we just have to get through this a rough time together and, uh, and yeah, just keep on trucking. So, exactly. Just cause we're social distancing doesn't mean you have to social media distance. Though some people need to stay off social media. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Okay. Take care guys. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out. Yeah. You gotta watch your back. Cause you don't want to be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in. Learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable. Yeah. Subscribe. Make sure you do that. So you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stack.